Welcome to episode 92 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I'm pleased to welcome you to the conversation today. It's hard to believe that we are almost to episode 100. Thank you so much for being with me on this journey. Whether this is your first or your 92nd episode, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, and maybe even change your life. We are only weeks away from the launch of my new book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, Amplify Your Strengths and Create Success on Your Own Terms. I have to share an amusing story about one of the milestones of my process, which was receiving my book of author's copies. As you might be aware and and could guess and might have experienced yourself if you're a published author, there are multiple milestones on the road to publication. First, there's getting the agent. I was so... um, relieved and at the same time overwhelmed when I finally signed with my literary agent. I think my first reaction was to take a nap. And I must admit that about six months later when we got a book deal, I had basically the same reaction. (laughs) So um, when it came to the next milestones, they were um, receiving the printed galleys. And I knew they were coming via UPS and that I would have to sign for them. And I missed the first two delivery attempts. And the third and final delivery attempt, I was in my office all day. I left for 10 minutes. And wouldn't you know it, it was that 10 minutes that the uh, UPS guy came. So I ended up spending that Friday night hanging out at the UPS distribution facility trying to pick up my books. So it felt a little anticlimactic. But I thought, well, that's okay, because I still have the delivery of the actual books when they are ready, which I knew I would get sometime in October. Well, that happened last week. I received the copies of my book as per my contract, and I knew that they were coming and tried to be in my office you know, so that I wouldn't miss them. And I had a Skype date scheduled with one of my friends. We were doing a video Skype lunch date um, just so we could catch up. And I was in my office doing the video Skype, had my dog with me, and um, was having a good day. Well, I hear a knock on the door, and it turns out it is the UPS guy. So I um, asked my friend, you know, hey, I'll be back in just a second, and went to answer the door. Of course, my dog let off a little warning bark because uh, she wants to protect me. (laughs) And because I'm sensitive to uh, people coming to the door and encountering a dog when they're not expecting it, I stepped through the door and pushed it closed behind me. Well, I have a habit of keeping my office door locked at almost all times. So the second I pulled it behind me, I got this feeling of dread. And I reached behind me, wiggled the knob, and realized, oh, I locked myself out. So there I was on the wrong side of the door with my friend on video Skype probably wondering where I disappeared to and my dog probably wondering where I disappeared to. It was me out in the hall with my box of books. Again, it was a little anticlimactic. It was a little disappointing because instead of being excited about getting my box of books, I was concerned about getting back into my office, back to my friend, back to my dog, (laughs) and back to some podcast interviews I had scheduled for that afternoon. 
it just goes to show I share all of this just because it's kind of an amusing story and that, you know, things just don't always go the way that we want them to. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they're any less worth celebrating or getting excited about. So while I feel like that moment that should have been really um, a huge milestone that I that I was able to share with other people and get really excited about in the moment, uh, that just quite didn't happen. So I feel like my excitement about the book is getting spread out over time. So if you, you know, if, if something doesn't go quite exactly the way you thought it would, know that it's okay, that there are more milestones to come for you and for me. And we can celebrate those as they come up and just kind of laugh off the other things that didn't go exactly as we expected. So as I said, there are definitely more milestones to come. And those milestones for me will be much more about community rather than about my solitary experiences getting locked out of my office or going to the UPS store. (laughs) So I invite you, you know, please join me as part of that journey and as part of that community. You can pre-order your book right now on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million and other websites that are listed on my books page on my website, theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Get one for yourself, one for a friend, a family member, a client, or a colleague. One thing I've learned through this process, early orders help build momentum. And I wrote this book for you. So let's work together to get it into the hands of introvert entrepreneurs everywhere. You can visit my website to learn more. And of course, check the show notes for this podcast episode, and you'll find all the links you need. Thank you so much. And now on with the show. We've all had more than our fair share of snore-inducing, painful presentations in meetings. But sometimes, and we remember these times, we are treated to a speaker who stands out, who makes us laugh and brings emotion to her message. You're no longer aware of there being a PowerPoint or your uncomfortable chair or other presentation logistics because you are so focused on her and her story. This is an important topic for introverts to consider. Public speaking is a fabulous communication platform for us. Since we're in control of our message, we have people's attention without fighting for it, at least we hope we don't have to fight for it, and we can prepare, practice, and put our best foot forward. If we can incorporate a little humor and levity into the presentation, so much the better. And that's what we're going to learn about today. I'm joined by David Nyhill, founder of Funny Biz, a community and conference series where business meets humor to abolish boring content. David is the author of the best-selling book, Do You Talk Funny? He has been featured in Inc., Lifehacker, The Huffington Post, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, and Forbes magazines. Hi, David. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you today. Likewise, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, so what's making you smile today? <laughs> a lot, most days. Uh, I guess I have a bit of an advantage in the line of work I'm in. But uh, <laughs> the thing that has me laughing, I think, yesterday is from being at a local swimming pool and witnessing a small girl swimming along and getting so excited about finding a, a quarter, a 25-cent coin on the bottom of the pool. Uh-huh. And then her reaction as she thought about maybe just taking it or looking at the lifeguard who was watching her who was basically saying in his eyes uh, you need to hand that in to the lost and found 
And feeling a little bit guilty, she walked over to him and asked him what she should do at this quarter rather than just take it. And he said, no, you have to hand it into the lost and found. And she really looked at him as if to say, really? Come on, I just found it. Her That's grandmother funny. intervened to tell her, what are you doing? Just put it in your pocket. It's yours. You found it. Uh, so I, I love to give our listeners some context about, you know, as we go into our conversation about your expertise, where you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum and how that has influenced you. So what do you identify with? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I would have called myself naturally probably fairly extroverted until it came to realms that I just didn't feel like an extrovert in any way, shape or form. And Mm. Um, public speaking being one which we'll obviously get into, but I suddenly felt extremely, extremely introverted. But I guess it's been a mix. When I travel, I'm kind of happy enough to wander around the globe on my own and don't really feel the need for as much conversation. But when I'm around friends and I have stories to share and tell, I become very much an extrovert. So I've, it's been tough to place myself on that scale. And yeah. I, I have trouble doing it. I'm all over the scale. Yeah. And, you know, there's a term um, ambivert for people who fall right in the middle and find themselves kind of switching gears based on the circumstances. And it sounds like that might be somewhere close to where you might be finding yourself. Yeah, and that's my definitely my word of the day because I've never heard that one before. But now it's going on my LinkedIn profile. It's going everywhere. You, you've Isn't just that explained. Awesome? <laughs> yeah, you've just explained <laughs> everything to me. I was like, damn it, I'm not either of these. What am I? What am I? No, oh, no. excellent. Ambivert. I like it. <laughs> so I want to talk about you know you're as I mentioned in the introduction you specialize in coaching people and, and talking about public speaking as well as injecting humor into presentations and really I think into life. <laughs> And one of the things I've noticed since I have been in this introvert space is how many actors and comedians are introverts. Yeah, agreed. And Nearly all of them. Yeah, isn't that? I, and you know, I, I find that um, now that I know more, of course, about introversion and understand it, I, I have some theories as to why that's true. But I'm curious to hear from you. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. You'd think a green room backstage at a comedy club would be an exciting place, but it's basically a room full of introverts. You don't really say a lot to each other. <laughs> uh, before going on, I thought it would be the most fun place ever until I got there. But I think it's comedy in general and very much like writing and very much like performances. You are the star. I mean, it doesn't teamwork or any form of collaboration doesn't really support your career as much as you think it would. So it's, it's very competitive. There are very limited spots for it, and it doesn't really help your career to cooperate as much as, say, an area like improv comedy would, mm -hmm. whereas the fundamental principles are all about helping each other, yes, and, and making your partner look really good. Right. And it's often fun to contrast those areas because, yeah, within the writing sphere, you're very right, performance and acting, all very much introverts because it lends itself to just going and locking yourself in a room and working on your writing or working on memorizing lines or doing things that are very much all down to you. Yeah, it seems like it would require a tremendous amount of focus. Um, yeah, de it definitely yeah. does, especially in the world of stand-up comedy, because those guys, over time, as they put more and more years and hours into their craft, the real thing that improves most noticeably is their writing skills. So although you're seeing them perform and you're seeing them be extremely funny on stage, most of that started with sitting down by yourself in a room with a pen or a notepad or on your smartphone and really writing out and developing those lines exactly the way a writer would. 
Mm-hmm. And although you're sharing your night with a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand people, depending on how good you are or nobody at all, mm-hmm. the same things applies. It's, it's very much a, a solo realm and it's very much just you and your material and, it, and it's often dominated by people who are extremely introverted. Yeah. I went to a, a workshop back at the beginning of the year with Judy Carter. Uh, she's and- really great. Yeah, she she and she's funny, and she really has a way of making um, people who think they're not funny funny, you know, bringing out that skill. And one thing she noted is very similar to what you said about the green room effect. She said you think that you invite a comedian to a party or to dinner, and they're just going to be a laugh a minute, but they're like really quiet. And often it's just because they're observing, you know, they're kind of taking it in, taking in the stories, like you took in the story of the little girl with the quarter. And just bringing all that in and absorbing it so that it can, you know, maybe be used later in some way. Oh, absolutely. And and they'll take out their smartphone and they'll make a note of something they found mm-hmm. interesting and they'll develop it. And it, it basically becomes a bit. It becomes written material that they'll work out by themselves and then vocalize nightly and make some adjustments to in front of crowds. But I think her core premise is exactly right. Everybody has that humor within them some way does nobody ever comes along to you in school or in university or in your job and is like hey here's how to be funny i know you think you're not funny because i really really believe we're all funny on some level like we all have those moments in life to make us laugh and we all take great pleasure in sharing those moments with other people how we best communicate those moments that's kind of the missing link like nobody really comes along and teaches you how to do that yeah some people think you know it's like you're born with it or you're not And, you know, some people are, quote unquote, naturally funny. And, yeah, I think, you know, anyone who relaxes and and is just themselves and isn't trying to be funny can be very amusing, very charming. Yeah, I think so. And I I think always the way of doing that. And and Jerry Seinfeld always said that about comedy, the closest you get to being yourself, the more naturally funny you will be. Mm -hmm. And I think just sticking to stories is a really great way of doing that because we all love stories. We can be hit on miss and somebody providing an opinion to us about something that they find really, really entertaining delivered as an opinion because we always kind of naturally tend to argue with an opinion that's human nature but if you present that same thing as a story well then you're not seen as trying to be funny it just so happens that there's an entertaining part in there and if you tell that story in its most effective form then all of a sudden you're becoming funny if there is a funny element in there and you can definitely go from somebody who considers themselves naturally unfunny uh, to being quite funny yeah yeah well and that that was going to be my you know another question i wanted to ask is what if you think you're not naturally funny and i think introverts often you know because we're internalizing so much so often that sometimes i think we might forget to be funny <laughs> you know forget to <laughs> yeah. to share what it is and so um you mentioned stories and i and again you know that's something i know judy carter emphasizes heavily as a way to inject natural humor into presentations without it feeling fake or contrived. What are some other ways that we can incorporate humor that will bring out our, our natural personality? Yeah, I mean, she, she's dead right. I think the basis point for everything starting off is just start with a story. Then you're probably not going to offend anybody unless your story involves you doing something really, really crazy, <laughs> right. which you never know it might. But, you know, it, it it keeps it clean, it keeps it relatable. The key thing is it allows people to see themselves within what you're doing, and it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like you're naturally trying to be funny. I mean, within presentations, you can just use humor within showing funny images and funny videos and, 
and gifts. There's a lot of ways. If you're just doing it in a public speaking realm, it's very, very easy to draw aspects in that are already proven socially funny elsewhere Mm -hmm. and just taking the extra effort into working that into your presentation. If you're looking on your everyday life, you know, there's nothing funny about somebody who's really successful and doing amazing things. We, We tend to like to hear about the challenges other people have been through. Uh, and how they they're able to deal with it and talk about it. So when you're trying to be funny, the very the best starting point is often things that were embarrassing for you in your past that seemed absolutely terrible at that moment when they happened, but you're you're somehow able to talk about them now and and see the lighthearted nature. I mean, often there's nothing very funny in that moment. So they always say that comedy is tragedy plus time, uh, and <laughs> yeah. and it. It often is. It's like that dinner you had, you know, where you were doing Thanksgiving dinner and you just absolutely ruined the turkey and maybe the kitchen mildly went on fire and your in-laws all fled the place thinking you were probably the worst partner ever for their spouse or their son or their daughter. And at that moment, it seemed like it could not get any worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, retelling those stories in an effective form is often where the humor is in life. It's taking those pain points and those frustrations and flipping them into something positive. And I think that you live listeners and I always come across people who are always saying, oh, I'm not funny or my topic is not funny. It's technology. It's this. It's a small element within technology. But you can always go on a, a wider circle and tell stories that don't have to be connected on the exact same level. If you're talking about technology, you can feel free to tell a story about your parents doing something crazy with technology or your mm-hmm. grandparents trying to figure out iPhones or sending you strange messages or for the first time or just, just didn't really out those small nuances that we all know only too well. Yeah. So there's a really a big realm you can draw on from experience, but I would say always start with a story, make those stories your own stories. And if you think you haven't got any material to draw from, remember the first time you tried something or the first time you really failed at something. And I guarantee you there's some humor in there. Now it's just a matter of, of vocalizing it to somebody else. Yeah, you're reminding us that to be up in front of people, whether you're being straight with your delivery or you're trying to be, you know, you're injecting humor, there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability. Oh, and, huge, huge. Yeah. And, yeah, and then stand-up comedy, the, those comedians basically leave a part of themselves on the stage. Mm-hmm. They're really putting it all out there. And, and that's why introverts are often the most successful because they're telling you things that you're like, wow, this is a really serious topic. But the slant they're putting on it makes it relatable to everybody and it makes it okay to laugh. I just was introduced this past weekend to um, Tate Nataro, if I'm oh, saying cool. her name right. And um, she, to me, she's like that perfect example of someone who was having a successful career and then was hit with cancer, breakup, mother's yep. death, you know, it's thing after thing. And just like you said, tragedy plus time yielded something that really it seems like it was like her breakthrough. And that willingness to be vulnerable was an extremely pivotal and powerful thing. Yeah, I mean, even in any aspect, and you can take things that are that serious, or you can take things as simple as you viewing yourself as an introvert, that's mm-hmm. really, really unfunny, and tell people all the moments in life you tried to be funny. And if it wasn't funny then, it probably will be funny now when you tell them about it. There's always that material to draw upon. Often it just doesn't come to the front of our mind really quickly. What comedians are really, really good at doing is literally having a list in a diary or on a smartphone and just adding to it. Like you said, when they're at that dinner table and they're not being that loud and they're not being extroverted in any way, they're taking notes and they're going to call upon that at some stage. And it's amazing how you forget those little moments if you don't write them down. So even that girl at the swimming pool yesterday, mm-hmm. I wrote that down later on in the day somewhere, just as a note on a smartphone. And I wouldn't have remembered it if I didn't, or I certainly wouldn't remember it in a few years. So it's those small things that don't seem amazingly important in that moment or that you might forget that you're going back in to call upon again. And, and that's often the root of humor. 
Yeah. And and I, I love that because I always think, oh, I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah, you never. It's the biggest you lie. <laughs> Especially if someone says really something crazy or you overhear a conversation and you're like, that was amazing. How crazy is that person? What did they just say? I, I have to write that down. I'll remember that. And if you don't write it down, you're not going to remember it. So write it down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've flirted around this idea of, you know, what if, let's just say, what if, you know, you're, you're not a comedian, but you are an entrepreneur, you're a, a leader in an organization, and you are, you know, part of your job and part of the way you spread your message is to give presentations, you know, to do some public speaking. But your topic is serious, you know, just by its very nature. And it's something that people, you know, say, well, we don't joke about that. Is there still room for humor in that? And how can you how can you mine the situation for humor in such a way that is going to not, you know, that, that it'll land with people? Yeah, so I would, it's, it's a question I get asked a lot. So what is taboo for comedy? What is too serious? What can't be touched? Generally, if it's something that happened fresh to a person, you know, for the example, everybody cites is the Twin Towers when that happened. And mm. it's obviously very serious. And nobody touched that topic in any way until The Onion did, which is exactly. a kind of satirical newspaper. And it became <laughs> one of the classic examples of comedy that they basically made a joke reference to it. But they did it in a way that everybody got behind it. And when there's a big, big tension like that, laughter and comedy often bring a big, big release of that tension. And there's two TED Talks I would encourage your listeners to look at in this. One is by um, Maisoon Zaid, whose name I'm hopefully pronouncing correctly, mm-hmm. which is about palsy and dealing and growing up with cerebral palsy. Uh, it is a fantastic talk, already hugely popular, full, full of humor that you would be like, wow, can I, can I laugh at this? Like, mm-hmm. it's such a tough subject, but you can see the reaction from the audience. It really lets out that tension. And the other is an Irish guy called Mark Pollock, who comes out in a wheelchair. He had an accident that left him paralyzed. Then he lost his sight and went blind. Um, Or sorry, vice versa, actually. He lost his sight and went blind. And then he did all these spectacular achievements, including going to the North Pole. And then he had an accident that left him paralyzed in a wheelchair as well. So the amount of visible things that he's going through look very, very serious on the surface. But he literally comes out and starts his TED Talk by saying, acknowledging the obvious trauma and some other additions as well so he literally starts with ladies and gentlemen i've got problems in his big northern ireland accent (laughs) he's like i'm paralyzed i'm blind i'm bald and i'm from northern ireland (laughs) i've got problems and you're looking at the situation on a whole and you're like i shouldn't be laughing at this like there's so much tension here and and there's so much seriousness here that his ability to look on it in the light side really allows you to look at it and relate to it a little bit more because now he's talking about problems in general and he brings it expertly and makes it relatable to everyone else. So bringing that back to your presentation topics, no matter what topic you're presenting on, there's always a way of linking it to something else or making it more relatable. So if you're talking about a tech project that's really boring, you can look at the flip side of what life is like without the information. So Mm -hmm. if you people didn't have this information or this product, what would happen? Uber Conference is a really good example of doing that. If they just tried to sell their product, which was a conferencing system, it wouldn't be very, very exciting. So they basically made a parody video that showed the pains that people go through when they don't have their service. And many of your listeners might have seen this, but it's basically a guy calling and then trying to make a conference call. And they're like, okay, what's the code? And they're like, 79462A69 something. And he's like, all right, how am I meant to do this? And then everybody starts dialing in at different moments. And, oh, it's John here. John, oh, we cut out. Oh, we lost you. The line's not great. Hold on. Let me try this again. It's always looking at the flip side. So by taking the flip side of what life is like without that product or without that information, 
or just taking the topic in general and mining for stories within it. So if this is learning a new skill, if this is application of something, you can take a time in your life and build it into that presentation where you screwed something up or it didn't go as well as you wanted it to go. Yeah. But if you are talking about something like that, just make fun of it, make light of it, try and draw in some stuff that's already socially proven. So if you think you're not funny, find something online that's linked to that topic that is and build it in, even if it's just a funny image or it's a video or a GIF. And you'll see that done highly effectively in a lot of the world's leading TED Talks at the moment. In fact, every single one of the top 10 uses a lot of humor, but two or three of them use video. You can always make it more lighthearted. It's never too serious for an injection of humor, unless it's very, very, very recent, as in an example is the, the Twin Terrors. If you right. were making jokes a couple of weeks after, people just aren't ready for that. But if someone suffered an injury that left them paralyzed, and it was many, many years ago, it's not as recent, it's not as taboo. If they show they're okay making light of it, then you can as well. Yeah. You're also reminding me about the power of um, when you're learning something, you know, you feel like you're not funny or you feel like you can't find the humor in something of just watching and listening to other people for a while. Again, you know, using your powers of observation, like I actually think I'm a funnier person by like reading some of my Facebook friends statuses who I know are funny. I feel like it has increased my sense of humor, like I'm able to have a, a more pithy response to something. And it, and it gives me a little bit more confidence. And so, I mean, you know, eventually, of course, I, it comes across in my own style. But, you know, watching comedians, watching actors, watching, you know, the TED Talks, um, paying attention to the people that you think are funny, is it seems to me another way to draw out your own funny. Oh, hugely. And I, I think... A lot of times when I ask people, all right, let's start a list of stories. I know you have fun experiences. Let's get going. That You really can't do that straight away. But if you go along to a comedy show or a storytelling show or you listen to something like NPR's The Moth or mm -hmm. Snap Judgment or some very good podcasts that are just based solely on story, you'll all of a sudden unlock all these memories in your own mind, like the girl next to the swimming pool that was obviously a bit fresher from yesterday. But you just forget little cool things like that. And you need to hear somebody else's a lot of the time or see somebody else delivering that funny to trigger that memory in your own mind and be like, do you know what? I actually had something like that happen to me. I just never thought about sharing it in that way before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't see it as funny, but now that you think about it, <laughs> it yeah, is. if you present it in the right way, you link it to the right topic. So comedians are very good at setting up a statement. So they'll take a story, they'll find the key funny part to that story, and then they'll strip out as many words before that key funny part as humanly possible to get to the funny part as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and they will make that relatable to people. So the opening statement makes it relatable to as many people as possible and allows them to tell the story in its shortest form and get to the funny bit in its quickest bit. And what we don't do naturally as people, introverts or extroverts, all the same, we tend not to, to really force brevity as levity. We don't force mm -hmm. ourselves to tell that story like we had 20 seconds. Go, tell the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes on to all these minute details that aren't exactly necessary in there, and we get lost a little bit. Comedians, the way they perform on stage, it does not allow them that luxury. They're always on a very limited time period, and they have a forced conciseness that we don't often have in society. We do a little bit more now because people will just pick up their smartphone and go, yeah, that's great, and start scanning through their Facebook feed right in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and you realize quickly that you've lost them. So as a way to hold people's attention, we're all a little bit ADD, 
Mm-hmm. At this time, I would say go along to listen to comedians, listen to story nights, but also listen to how many words they're actually using to get to the key point of the story. And often you will find that they never use more than three sentences to get to the key funny part or the key point of a story. And I think by following suit in that with presentations, that also sets you up for success because you're using lots of nice little examples, but you're not dwelling on the, those items longer than you need to be. Absolutely. I remember some of the best advice I heard, or at least what's been extremely helpful for me, is when you get up to give a presentation, do not start with, hi, thanks for having me here. It's really good. I hope you all are having a good day. Um, you know, never, you know, never, never. Do that. I know, have because... <laughs> a giant picture of a sheep that I put up and his name was Shrek the sheep. He was this sheep that got lost in New Zealand for six years and he came back looking like a monster uh, and they sheared him. And I was like the before and after photo, this is your talk. This is how you would have given it with all the extra fluff. Uh-huh. And this is what you can make it. And you will never make it that short unless somebody makes it that short. And a key part is exactly what you said coming out. And just being really unmemorable and going, oh, wow, there's so many people here. I'm kind of <laughs> nervous, but nice to see you. It's been a great day. It's my first time here. I'm like, yeah, yeah. like, you know, that person's not going to say anything fantastically concise if they're yeah. nervously waffling. So I think the best way is is let the host or the MC sell you. So a lot of people then will say, well, I started this business and I did that. And it becomes a chronological ordering of their mm-hmm. resume. Like if I said to you, hey, want to come out with me for a beer tonight? I'm going to read you my resume. You'd be like, uh, no, yeah. see, you, <laughs> see you later, weird person. But we'll happily trap a group of people in the room and be like, all right, I'm going to read you guys my resume now. Uh, no. So, I mean, cut that as well. Let the host sell you so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Don't have any fluff words before you start and start in the action with a story. And I think that that's very much in line with the advice you were given. That's that's what made the biggest difference from my talks as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to close by talking a little bit about, you know, public speaking in general for you, because for someone who you, you've said on your blog and on your site that you don't particularly like public speaking. I hate public speaking. <laughs> yes, but you talk a lot about it. So I do. Um, That's it, what happens when you pretend to be a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you reconciled what sounds like this love-hate relationship with being a public speaker in the stage? Yeah, there's such an irony in that. Now, I always enjoyed teaching, and I never saw teaching as public speaking, but mm. nearly flipping that switch in my mind, it was like, okay, I'm going out to share some some experience and knowledge I have with people, as opposed to going out and giving a sermon made a big difference to be able to keep speaking about it. Like, it's not just going giving a talk. I'm just doing teaching what I always liked, mm-hmm. but if I viewed it as public speaking, I always hated public speaking, and they nearly occupied two different parts of my mind. To be honest, I still hate public speaking. The difference now is I have a kind of tried and tested collection of stories that I know works. I'm comfortable with managing the process. I'm very good at hiding the fact that I'm nervous from audiences because I've figured out how to do it. I've taken a lot of the fear factors away from it, and I've rationalized in my mind that all these guys I met in all these green rooms like throughout years and years and years, they all had one thing in common. Apart from being introverted most of the time, they were all nervous. Like their heart was beating, their hands were sweating. Those things never, ever go away. Uh, And I wish someone had just told me that (laughs) at the start. My life would have been so much easier. But now I know before I go, like if you shook my hand before I go on stage at a big event, you're going to feel like you've been assaulted by a mackerel. It's it's bad. It should be hidden from everybody. But I guess I've reconciled those by being, by 
the awareness that I know how to manage that process of public speaking. And it ha- it's not so much my business these days. We've been, we, I actually stepped away from that a bit because mm-hmm. I realized what I re- like doing is helping people create funny content. So that's kind of what funny biz was born out of. We wanted to enable a way for comedians to keep doing comedy and not drop out, but also have an income at the time from businesses who are often lacking uh, the creative funny writers to do a lot of their social media or produce a lot of their content. So yeah, to, to answer your question, I still struggle with that. It's a huge irony, and every class I always say, I hate public speaking. Uh, and now I'm going to tell you how I got through it because I was really forced to. But it was it was ironic because all my friends in the States who knew me would have labeled me as fairly extroverted, mm-hmm. um, and they never witnessed, because I went to university in Ireland, what my friends in Ireland witnessed was me shaking with a piece of paper in my <laughs> hand or drinking beer before presentations to get through them in university, which was not a good plan whatsoever. Yeah. Never, <laughs> Liquid which, courage. Would, yeah, would not recommend that. <laughs> Worst plan ever. Again, nobody told me that kind of stuff. They're like, no, it's great for the nerves. It's not great for it. don't drink any it's like a, a formula one or an indy car racing driver just like on that final day of the season like for the world championship and they're like oh you're nervous have a couple of shots of tequila that will yeah. really help yeah <laughs> not yeah. terrible plan why didn't anyone tell me that but yeah i, I kind of i went through the rigor on it but it it can become manageable that's the thing with public speaking but you really have to force yourself to do it or to study some of the shortcuts to make you more comfortable and great tips like you said there of coming out and just getting started on stage or what I said, by just starting with a story, just tell your mm-hmm. own stories. Nobody knows them better than you. If you screw up your own story, nobody knows, yeah. uh, only you. And you don't have to memorize it. It's something that happened to you. It, it makes life a lot easier. Well, the fabulous thing is that, you know, so many people fear it that so many people have written about it. You know, there is no shortage of information about how to deal with the process of it and how to get better at it. There, um, There isn't. And I, I found some great stuff. And, you know, the only reason I ever wrote a book, though, because all the books, every single book I ever read on public speaking said humor is one of the key ways to make your talk go really well. But nobody broke down how to be funny. Mm. Like, OK, how can I replicate this? How can I do it in a way that's that's fairly foolproof so I don't really risk embarrassing myself on stage? So that was mm. the only reason I felt the need for that book is I could not find that information. I was like, all right, let's do it. I'm going to be a guinea pig and do experiments on myself for a whole year and force myself to do this stuff. Excellent. And, and what is the name of the book? Uh, the book is called Do You Talk Funny? Do You Talk Funny? And is it out currently? Yeah, it's out currently. It's on Amazon and it's really cheap. It won't be that cheap for long because uh, I sold it to a publisher and it's going to be relaunched. I, I just completed writing an updated version. It's a nice, short, easy read and all the tips I learned are on there. Equally, you can you can get them on my site as well just as a downloadable version of just public speaking tips. Like here's 80 things I learned from comedians who I think are the true masters of public speaking because yeah. they're one of the few that clock up the 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> says make a master. And yeah. they learn a lot the hard way doing that. And it's very hard to get information out of a massive group of introverts uh, who don't want to tell you about their skills sometimes. So it was, <laughs> yeah. it, it took a while to get that list together. But I find it helpful, and, and so do my friends. If somebody was wanting to get started but didn't know where to start, and I know comedians, you know, there's a wide range of styles and tastes. You know, not every, you know, even if they're a comedian, not everyone is going to find resonate with their humor. But, yep. you know, in general, um, who would you recommend somebody start with if they wanted to dip their toes? into using a comedian as a model uh, i love billy Connolly. now he you might need subtitles for this fella he didn't he, he made it big in the states but not massively but i mean he'll fill football stadiums in the uk and ireland to see him he's a scottish comedian and he's very much a storyteller 
I would have recommended Bill Cosby in the U.S., but uh, <laughs> I in, re- know, it's in so recent weeks, I, yeah, I'm not sure what aspects I should say to study uh, without getting in trouble. But both those guys have one thing in common. They're very much storytellers. They can tell you a six or seven minute story as, as part of their show and you'll feel like it just happened them on the way to the show and you were just lucky enough that they're telling you about it. They deliver information in a very non-scripted manner and it just sounds cool and it sounds like something that you could have happened to you but you just didn't see that nuance in the twist or the tail of the story. But I think it's it's the most reputable because there's a lot of writing, Jerry Seinfeld-style humor that is, you know, it's very, very hard, if not next to impossible to do that, to replicate it. That's why Jerry Seinfeld is so good. But on the storytelling side, I, I feel there's a lot of guys that you can copy that style. You can just tell your own stories and you can rewrite them using comedy writing techniques to make them shorter and more effective. But Billy Connolly is a great one to start with. And if you can ignore a few misdemeanors, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the other fell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. It's like, you know, <laughs> I, I, won't I, mention. I know it's such a shame. And, and I hope that people, you know, in, in this kind of case, if somebody was brilliant at their craft, that there's an ability to kind of separate a little bit because there is something still to be learned. No, oh, 100%. And I would say if, if you're in business and you're like, well, great, yeah, I'd like to be funnier, but I want to be able to use it in business, the study and stand-up comedy isn't really going to pay for me. I would say have a look at Ken Robinson's talk, which is the most viewed of all time. Oh, my gosh, yes. And just pick out the little moments in that talk and be like, wait a minute, did he just tell a joke? Was that really anything to do with his subject? And ask yourself, does it look like he's really enjoying telling these stories? And ask yourself, does it look like he's told them before? So does he know where people are going to laugh in there? Does he allow them time to laugh? And you can develop a lot of those comedic nuances just from telling your own stories very much in that manner. So I think like that's the most viewed TED Talk of all time with over 30 million views. But most of the items he uses to get humor in there are very much repeatable. Yes, yes. It's such a brilliant talk. And I remember the first time I watched it, I had no expectation that it was going to be funny. I just thought, well, it's been viewed a lot, so it's probably a lot of good information and provocative. But it was, if I remember, there were some laugh out loud moments. Oh, huge. If, if you actually, there's a metric comedians use sometime, and Judy Carter actually writes about it in her book. She's the source of the metric, which is laughs per minute. So it's just basically tracking not how many times, or not how deeply people laugh, but how many times they actually laughed over the course of the talk on a per minute basis. And when you look at Ken Robinson's talk, he has 2.8 laughs per minute, which is just a little wow. bit under the movie The Hangover, <laughs> uh, which is the second, using that same metric, The Hangover is the second funniest movie of all time on a laughs per minute basis. Now, granted, one is a shorter period of time, one is a movie, the laughs might be bigger, more laugh out loud moments in The Hangover, which of course there are. But if you look back at Ken's talk, you're like, wow, this guy makes me laugh just about as often as The Hangover, and I learned a hell of a lot more. Not saying The Hangover wasn't very informative, uh, but the, the, the key takeaways there were not quite on the same level. Yeah, but not quite as sudden, profound. Yeah, not quite as profound as Ken. But all of a sudden, you have you have something really, really memorable, engaging that gives you a lot of joy to watch in Ken's talk, and you'll realize the laughter moments aren't really on topic. So you're like, wait, this talk was about how schools kill creativity, but he's talking about when is you know that's taking a topic that you might say, well, there's no room for entertainment in there and really working in your own personal stories that are on a macro level related to that topic. So you might say, oh, the topic is creativity in schools. Well, that's that's not relevant here if I tell a story about my kid moving. But realistically, it is. And the, the audience will allow you to work those own personal stories from your life in, especially if they're good. Yeah. Well, you know, some of the bottom lines that I'm taking away that maybe I'm extrapolating a little bit and remembering from other conversations is that 
you know, if you need any convincing that humor is something that's important, you know, remember that it, it relaxes you. It relaxes your audience. It connects you to people. You know, we connect like you've been talking about these stories. It's, it's a way that we form a connection with others. And, you know, something else that I learned, I, I, this might have been from Judy or someone else, but, you know, if you are able to inject humor into your presentations and you're doing any sort of paid public speaking, you will be paid more. You will get you, more gigs. You will. They will like you and they will remember you. Yes. So it basically, it creates a mental post-it note in your brain. I was like, oh, that guy was funny. I want more of him. Especially mm-hmm. compared to 99% of the business speakers out there who are not funny. Yeah. Uh, whatsoever. So any element of humor in there really helps someone stand out, but it also really increases engagement levels within your audience. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This is <laughs> this has been both, you know, an, an entertaining conversation as well as extremely informative. And um, and I want to wrap up with a question that I ask all of my guests. And this is assuming that maybe you're in one of your introvert swings and you're craving time on introvert island and you've got three weeks and you can only take three books with you what would you take with you and why oh that's a good one (laughs) uh i would take a book i love a lot called the man who tried to save the world and the fred cunning mystery and i would take it because it's a very good reminder of if you put your mind to anything no matter what the challenge is in front of you and you really believe in it that you can probably make it a reality. Mm-hmm. So in that book, a guy just declares himself the world expert on humanitarian aid relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if there's a tsunami, he's the guy who gets a phone call. <laughs> and he got to the level where he was basically funded by George Soros and told to go fix Chechnya. Wow. So I think that that's a great book for, for just really believing in yourself and other people will too. Uh, I would take Catch-22 for some light relief just to remind me that society is a bunch of lunacy sometimes, <laughs> <of> bureaucracy. <laughs> And the last one would be a bit of a toss-up between a family photo album to remind mm-hmm. me of what I'm missing or the book by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, A Hundred Years of Solitude, mm-hmm. just to remember or remind me how crazy and messy family and friends can be sometimes if I want to focus on being an introvert. But yeah, great read as well. Yeah. Well, what a paradox, the family album and A Hundred Years of Solitude. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> well, when you read that book, you open the first page and it's the most complex timeline of people and individuals and how they're related you've ever seen. And it's just unfolds hundreds of pages of lunacy and, and magic all at the same time to remind you how complex life and families can be, but always goes in a full circle. Yeah, beautiful. Well, how can people learn more about you and your services and particularly your book, Do You Talk Funny? Sure, yeah. Well, Do You Talk Funny, all of the, the information I said here, I have my own blog, which I update occasionally, which is 7comedyhabits.com. And anything related specifically to public speaking is on there. And you can get a free guide that gives you just the tips from my book so you don't have to read the book. If you're like, no, I just want the actual tips. I don't want any of the stories, which some people do. You can get that there. Or the company I run is called Funny Biz, uh, F-U-N-N-Y-B-I-Z-Z dot co, not dot com. And, and we have a conference around people who can build in humor into marketing and content production and and we have a writer service where if you think you can't add the funny to your written words, we get comedy writers to do it for you. So they're okay. the best places. And you can get me personally on Twitter at FunnyBizSF. Not hard to find. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, David. This has been great fun. And it's been um, it, it's inspiring me because I need to go back and be looking at my presentations to inject a little humor. Because here's I'll just I'll leave you with a light bulb joke. Because isn't that the classic? <laughs> yeah, know, do it. Besides, like a knock knock. So, um, how many introverts does it take to change a light bulb? I do not know. <laughs> None. Because having the lights on just makes more people come and visit. 
<laughs> yeah. But I'm bumping. Yeah. yeah, you're going to have to edit in some, some higher laughter and a drum note for that one. And I think we can build ambivert <laughs> into that joke as well. We probably we could. Have- well, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with everyone. Most welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. In that conversation, the importance of personal stories really came through. Capturing those stories isn't always the most natural process, though. We have to be very intentional about it because we get busy, we forget, and we don't have a structure to help us organize our thoughts. Well, remember that David and I talked about Judy Carter during our conversation? I really highly recommend her book, The Message of You, and the accompanying workbook. It gives you a framework and a process for finding presentation-worthy stories in your everyday life. You'll find a link to those resources, as well as others mentioned in this podcast, in the show notes for this episode. You can find that on my website, theintrovertentrepreneur.com backslash podcast. Here's a closing quote that reminds us that even if we practice, 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 we won't necessarily make perfect. Ruth Bonetti, in her book, Speak Out, Don't Freak Out, says, A few mistakes do not a fiasco make. Professionals throw them off casually, but file them away to reinvent as an endearing anecdote in later presentations. Make them part of the performance. Put them behind you and keep going whatever happens. If you find value in these podcasts, I invite you to take a moment and stop by iTunes to leave a short review. Reviews and ratings help raise the visibility of this podcast, and it makes it easier for people to find it and enjoy. Thank you for considering. Upcoming episodes include interviews with Kevin Cruz, author of 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management, Katrina Pollard, author of From Unknown to Expert, and Jennifer Conweiler, author of The Genius of Opposites. Stay tuned for those podcasts and more, all coming soon. A very special thank you to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and you for sharing this time with me. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. Mm-hmm.